Hello and welcome to Dead by Dawn, an Evil Dead podcast. I'm Chris Hewitt. I'm Anna Bogutskaya. And I'm Mike Munzer. And across the next two episodes, we'll be cracking open the Necronomicon and exploring the world of the Evil Dead in anticipation of Evil Dead Rise out in cinemas on the 21st of April. In this first episode, we'll be going back to the very beginning, venturing into the woods and revisiting Sam Raimi's original Evil Dead trilogy. Us from our ancient slumber. <laughs> you will die like the others before you. One by one, we will take you. <sighs> so, in this first episode of our two parter podcast, we'll be talking in depth, uh, which means in full spoilerific detail, about the original Evil Dead trilogy. So that's The Evil Dead from 1981, Evil Dead 2 from 1987, and Army of Darkness from 92. That's right. So we would recommend giving them all a watch before you listen to our discussion. I mean, what a fun triple bill anyway, right? But give yourself a treat and make sure you're refreshed before we dive in. So guys i think it's safe to say we three are all evil dead super fans right um where did that fandom begin uh chris how did you first discover the evil dead well i went to a cabin in the woods and there it was <laughs> <laughs> uh, i first discovered the evil dead movies uh through jonathan ross and his incredibly strange film show i may be dating myself here by by saying that does anyone remember the uh, does anyone remember Jonathan Ross does anyone remember <laughs> the incredibly strange film show which was a show that he did on Channel Four where he would seek out incredibly weird and esoteric directors from around the world um, people like Russ Mayer people like uh, Sam Raimi who back then was uh, still a thunderkint uh, of cinema. And I remember watching the Sam Raimi episode and just being absolutely blown away by the clips on display, even clips from Crime Wave, his dreadful and much maligned and, let's be honest, should be forgotten second movie, um, which was not a good experience for him or indeed anyone watching it, but it has some amazing things in it visually. And uh, I really wanted to seek out an Evil Dead movie. And if I remember rightly at that time, The Evil Dead was still unavailable in the UK because it was packaged up as part of the Video Nasty uh, Brigade of the, of the 1980s. So the only one that was available at that time was Evil Dead 2, which I stumbled upon in a, uh, in a video sale one day. And I bought it for the princely sum of £5. And I had no idea what I was like myself in for. And I got it home and I put it on. Uh, and I was bedazzled by the lurid cover artwork. And uh, and it changed my life, quite frankly. <laughs> Over the next 86 minutes or so, it absolutely changed my life. Groovy. I was a big horror guy going into that. Uh, and obviously a big cinema guy going into that. But I didn't know that horror could be so cinematic and so go for broke visually and it just absolutely wowed me so i started evil dead 2 then i went evil dead and then i went army of darkness that was the that was the order for me what about you anna i went in a completely different way around so i discovered it through Xena, what are your princess? Well, of course. As, <laughs> of as course. everyone does discover it, yeah. No. Jonathan Ross, Cena, yeah. Can't wait for Mike's. <laughs> so I, I didn't grow up in the UK, obviously, and I remember watching, being very into this glut of TV shows in the 90s that oh, were yeah. loosely based on Greek and Roman mythology. Very loosely. Very loosely based. So you've got Xena, the warrior princess, young Hercules starring uh, Barbie's own Ryan Gosling. Oh, um, wow, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, the adult Hercules and one of the constant guest stars of those shows was Bruce Campbell and I remember then when I was discovering horror films and a lot of other a lot of other movies was through the bargain bin in any DVD shop that I could find in Barcelona so I would just scour whatever was under five euros I would just pocket that pocket as in buy not steal <laughs> and I remember seeing the cover and Bruce Campbell's not on that but I was reading and I recognised the name I was like oh I know that guy I know that face he looks very young very different and I came to that through him through Xena the Warrior Princess I picked up this cheap badly edited DVD of the Evil Dead the first the one first one okay the yeah. first one instead of the second one. So in my head, and I think I don't think I watched the second and third movies until I was in university. And in my head, I always had The Evil Dead as like a proper horror movie. You know, it's gory. It's meant to be scary. It wasn't really. But when then kind of this, I started reading up about the 
you know, reception and mythology of Evil Dead as being a comedy horror and being funny. I'm like, what are these people talking about? It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't. He's funny on Xena, but he's not funny in The Evil Dead. <laughs> no. So, not intentionally, anyway. <laughs> I, I came to that through the first one instead, through the kind of the better known and more high budget second and third sequels. Uh, and then afterwards, I just ate them all up. I bought the Bruce Campbell biography, If Chins Could Kill. Mm-hmm. Amazing. So mm-hmm. he was my entry point into the whole trilogy. Lady, I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? Name's Ash. Housewares. I love that. Well, for me, it was it was being a little weirdo horror fan, you know, from quite a young <laughs> age. And there was that time around the... So I was sort of probably around 12, 13, 14, around the time at the turn of the millennium where DVD had suddenly boomed and all of these movies that were previously banned or just really difficult to find or get hold of on VHS were getting these nice new plush releases. You know, do you remember there were movies like The Exorcist and Texas Chainsaw that were all around 99, 2000 getting these DVD re-releases? And the same thing happened with The Evil Dead. And I remember reading about Evil Dead in places like Empire and hearing people like Kim Newman talk about them about the video nastiness of it and how gory and shocking it was so I was dying to see The Evil Dead and I think eventually I was able to get my hands on the trilogy box set DVD it was four discs I still have it and there's like a lovely bonus disc with extras and documentary (laughs) and everything it's great and uh, so I watched the trilogy you know I think in one night I remember being so excited about it and I sort of binge watched all three movies across one night as a teenager back to back and it blew my mind and I remember thinking that the first one you know it has that reputation of being this banned video nasty and really shocking and I sort of expected it to be grisly and gross and nasty but also kind of cheap and you know in that way that a lot of those scratchy video nasty movies were but actually I just remember being so impressed by how good it was and oh my god this is actually incredible filmmaking amazing effects brilliant writing amazing direction and cinematography and I remember even as like a 14 year old being just bowled over by Sam Raimi like I think Sam Raimi obviously we'll talk about Bruce Campbell but I think particularly in the first movie Sam Raimi is the real star of the evil dead for me right and uh, and I remember even at the time thinking holy shit this is just incredible filmmaking we're witnessing here Maybe we should start by talking about Sam Raimi and what a, what a genius, a mad genius he is, really. You know, he was only about 1920 when he made The Evil Dead, 1981 in the woods with his friends and you know I think you can see such incredible artistry and talent on display from the very beginning there can't you? He's so inventive even rewatching the movies you know this weekend in preparation for this you still get a little bit bowled over and you can now see with the whole with his whole career kind of in hindsight now you can see some of those first experiments that he was doing in The Evil Dead Mm. that then um, are more perhaps polished in some of his bigger budget works you know even in the Spider-Man trilogy like you can see those origins and out of horror directors or directors in general it's so visually not stunning but creative Creative, like it's always trying to do something with every shot Mm -hmm. it's trying to do something original and even the three movies if we've watched them back to back which I highly recommend as a good afternoon well spent totally that is a lurch it is such a lurch to go from the evil dead to army of darkness in the space of four and a half hours I fully disagree (laughs) you think oh you disagree okay I think it's a great time you think oh well it's a great time at the cinema believe me but it is it is totally a lurch because the evil dead is such a uh, it is in, in, in a way it's such a grubby movie mm. and then you go to the Army of Darkness and you have Bruce Campbell doing his one man three stooges act and it is yeah. wild and you think about the time frame of those movies as well because uh, I was thinking about this today when I was uh, revisiting Army of Darkness for the first time in a, in a, in a while and uh, uh, and that movie comes out 11 years after the first Evil Dead mm. and if you had told <laughs> I think if you'd sat Sam Raimi Bruce Campbell and Rob Tappert the producer down and gone guys you will be making the second sequel to this 
right now. You're in a cabin in Tennessee. You're 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 having the worst time of your lives. This is horrible. Every day is misery. You're sticking to the floors. It's just terrible. Eleven years from now, you're going to be making the second sequel to this. It's going to be batshit insane. Mm-hmm. Bruce Campbell's going to be like a one-man comedic tour de force. There's going to be skeletons in the Harry House and tradition, and it's going to be in the same franchise. <laughs> yeah. By the way, I don't think they would have believed you. I think that's what's so interesting about this franchise, right? It, it doesn't follow the rules of other horror franchises. You know, even Evil Dead to Evil Dead Two is strange because mm-hmm. we're like, this is sort <laughs> of a remake, but not. You know, and it is it's the first requel ever. It's a They're requel. trendy now. It, but time where we started it (laughs) exactly but I think you're right Chris maybe we should go back to talk about that experience of making the first one and what a madman Sam Raimi was as a director right because by all accounts wasn't the whole experience of making the Evil Dead quite an awful thing for yeah. Bruce Campbell and everyone involved right it was awful it was awful I think it took about six months they were up in a, in a cabin in the woods an actual cabin in the woods <laughs> uh, they had no idea what they were doing they had done some things like it's murder and within the woods they had done some short films and uh, these are three kids who met as students they were best friends at high school uh, Rob Tappert who of course is the husband of Lucy Lawless yes he aka is. Cena Warrior Princess uh, and there is a twist <laughs> but um, you know, and they, they they managed to raise, I mean, the story of how they raised the money for the Evil Dead and why they chose to make a horror film is is legend, I think. But they weren't necessarily horror fans. They were comedy fans, really. They were Three Stooges fans. Uh, and they But they wanted to make something that would have a bit of commercial cachet and horror was the big thing at that time. So they weren't connected to anyone in Hollywood. They went cap in hand around where they lived in, in near, near Detroit, in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, they got a bunch of dentists and stockbrokers and doctors to chip in here and there. They got a couple of hundred thousand dollars together, if that. Uh, and they decamped up to this cabin in the woods where, as far as I can tell, they were actually possessed by Sumerian demons. <laughs> <laughs> and they made a film. Which is absolutely bonkers. And it was cold and it was miserable and the equipment didn't work and they had to improvise constantly. And that spirit of improvisation, I think, uh, runs all the way through Raimi's career. But it's absolutely strongest in Evil Dead and, and Evil Dead 2. Mm. And Evil Dead 2, I had the, I had the great pleasure of, I've had the great pleasure of interviewing Raimi a number of times over the years and fanboying wildly in his general direction. And I said, Sam, I have a theory about Evil Dead 2, which is that after Crime Wave, which was a disaster for you personally, and, you know, there was loads of studio interference and it wasn't a great success and uh, it felt very much like you were in the last chance saloon. And Evil Dead 2 feels to me like a director who is just out of shit to give. And he is just trying to throw everything he can think of. He is innovating with every single shot, as you said, Anna. Every, but not just shots. I mean, they're doing incredible things with the sound. The soundscape of oh. these movies uh, is incredible and a huge part of the success, particularly, I think, of the first one, why the first one is still so creepy and unsettling. Absolutely. Yeah, there is incredible creativity. And the first movie is, you know, again, famously, like he's improvising. They're, they're, they're nailing cameras to planks uh, in, in lieu of a Steadicam and coming up with these incredible, incredible shots. So the first one, the creativity is born out of, we don't know what to do, we don't know what the rules are, so therefore we don't know that we're breaking them. And then the second one is, I may never get to direct a film again. Mm. I think this is this is it, as far as I'm concerned. This is it. So I'm going to just do everything I've ever wanted to do within budgetary constrictions, of course, and it works perfectly for me. I think what I love about Sam Raimi as well is that he kind of, it feels like he arrived fully formed in terms of his vision, right? He didn't quite have the money to achieve that vision in 1981, but you see that vision kind of come to fruition more and more and more in subsequent films, I think. So these little techniques that he invented himself when he made the original The Evil Dead in 1981, because he had no money, like you said, Chris, he was nailing his camera to blocks of wood in order to do the, you know, tracking shots through the woods he called that his shaky cam there was something called the vaso cam which involved using vaseline right in order to create a kind of smooth tracking movement without any friction or we had the ramo cam the Raimi cam essentially which was like again the camera was attached to a two by four but there was a kind of block of wood 
in front of it just beneath the lens so we couldn't see it but that meant that he was able to smash through doors and windows just before the camera reached it and he he came up with these really super cheap DIY te DIY techniques to achieve these mad visuals that he clearly had in his head from the beginning and then we see that progress you know Evil Dead 2 we'll talk about this as we go I'm sure but it's almost more of a remake than a a sequel he does the same thing again but slicker with a bit more money and more resources right and uh, and in a way that's sort of what he continued doing even the spider-man trilogy starring toby Maguire, which of course sam raimi directed uh, still considered some of the great superhero movies of the 21st century right but even in those films you can see those sam raimi isms those camera techniques coming through just with a multi-million dollar budget so i think it's always been there from the beginning but i think you're right there's something about evil dead Two specifically that kind of perfects everything that Sam Raimi is brilliant at it and it you're right Chris it kind of feels like he's making a film like he will never make another film again there's there's this part of me that thinks that the evil dead 2 distills all of the things that went accidentally right from the first one and just finesses them and makes them a bit slicker a bit better experiments a bit more refines the experiments that worked out well maybe redoes the ones that didn't from the first one and one of the things that i think you know uh, in terms of horror history at the time in particular that makes it stand out still is that it kind of feels out of time. It's got the 80s cheesiness to it, but it doesn't strictly fit into the slashers of the 80s, into, you know, a horror comedy the way that it was being made at that time, at least before it. Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really interesting kind of... Uh anomaly almost within that period of horror. I mean, I think it fits in the way that in the early 80s there was so much gnarly stuff going on, right? We were in that video nasty era. And one of the things I love most about that first film, I mean, I'm a fan of all of them, but I think I have a particular love for the original actually, personally. And I think it's because it's got, it almost feels unsafe, that movie. You know, you almost feel like you're watching something really, you know, dangerous, I think, in the way that it's been made, in the way that it was so cheap. It was 16 millimeter, like you said, Sam Raimi had cameras nailed to blocks of wood and was just running around the woods and, you know, everything was, you mentioned, Chris, like the floors were sticky with fake blood and it's almost like you can smell that first movie, right? It's so gross and grim. Mm. And in that regard, I think it feels kind of, it, it feels of a place in the early 80s with some of those particularly gnarly movies with loads of cool practical effects that we got. But you're right, you know, in this time of kind of teen slasher movies that we were getting loads of in the early 80s, kind of post-Halloween and Friday the 13th, it doesn't quite fit in with that. I think there's a vibe of Texas Chainsaw Massacre about it you know particularly those shots near the beginning when they're walking towards that cabin and those kind of low angles looking up at these people walking towards this bad place I think there are elements of that but not quite in the deadites and the way they talk there's a bit of Pazuzu and the exorcist in mm. there as well there's a bit of Italian zombie stuff as well there's almost a bit of Lucio Fulci I think in the gore and excessiveness but it doesn't quite fit into any of those areas it's either it's just does a bit it? too goofy to yeah. feel like it belongs to those early films because even when you watch them now there is a nastiness to them mm. and a let's just pile up the bodies element to them that doesn't quite happen mm -hmm. in Evil Dead and even with the way that the franchise kind of evolved just focusing entirely on Ash basically an ever-evolving girlfriend that he has yes. um, it isn't that interested in in just stacking up victims mm. it's more like no let's spend this entire time with Ash and the plot mechanics actually don't matter that much it's about giving Campbell set pieces. Plot is a four-letter word. <laughs> <laughs> do you think? Do you think, Chris? That's because, like you said, Sam Raimi and the other guys that made this just weren't actually that interested in horror. Like you said, they made horror as like a bankable thing. Yeah. But yeah. you can see just by the progression of this trilogy, right, that it leans more into what they actually wanted to do, which was kind of comedy slapstick. Yeah, I think Raimi refers into into being a bit of a horror nerd uh, in time, and obviously. When he wants to, he can flex his horror film muscles, uh, filmmaking muscles, like like few other people can. Drag me to hell is is evidence of that. And there are moments mm -hmm. in Spider Man Two, the the Doc Ock sequence, and there are even moments in Doctor Strange: The Multiverse of Madness, where you can you can see the great horror filmmaker in there. You know, he can he can time a jump scare like few others. He's got an incredible command of tone, and obviously the camera work is is next level. No matter, no matter which DP he pairs with. 
you know, he, there's there's an authorial voice to his shots, which 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 which, uh, which shines through. The first Evil Dead is really interesting because you know it was it was a technical exercise. It was a fairly cynical exercise, and that's you know these movies are making money. We want to become filmmakers. Let's get these. Let's get a movie that will play with the drive-in audience, and that's why it it leans towards the schlocky, and that's why it leans towards the the gruesome, uh, and that's why there are you know that that scene, the much maligned scene, uh, where the trees um, shall we say attack Cheryl. Uh, about halfway through, that's why that is in there, and I think that's that's something that 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 Raimi and his collaborators have have since regretted, uh, or, or they definitely said they regret. Uh, but that was all in there because it was lurid and because they thought it would appeal to people who would go and see horror movies like this. Uh, but I think you're right that you know their their tones tend towards the comedic. That definitely comes through in Evil Dead too. But what I think is fascinating about the Evil Dead is that for all of that. It really works as a horror film. And one of the big reasons that it works as a horror film is it has this incredibly intense atmosphere of dread. It's it's a bit slapdash. It's a bit amateurish. You know, I, you know, even Bruce Campbell at the time, I don't think anyone would say that any of the actors uh, in The Evil Dead would be up for an Oscar. Although they're fine. Ellen Sandweiss is, is terrific as, as Cheryl. Uh, and she's having enormous fun, especially when she gets into the, into the cellar. Uh, but it is a little bit amateurish at times in terms of the acting but it still absolutely works it convinces you that the tone is on point the omnipresent wind is something that unsettles me to this day and that that's a big part of why Evil Dead 2 works especially in the beginning as well but Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2 is fascinating uh, you may have noticed that I, I talk about it a lot uh, it is my favourite movie of all time it is also I believe objectively the greatest movie of all time <laughs> uh, scientifically proven yes. scientifically proven I, I went into a lab for six months <laughs> I looked at Citizen Kane does Citizen Kane have a bit where he chainsaws off his own hand no it does not well, not quite there you go would if Rosebud had been a chainsaw would Citizen Kane have had a chance of being the greatest movie of all time possibly we will never know hard luck Orson thanks for trying uh, but Evil Dead 2 is really interesting in a way that it, it kind of constantly reinvents itself mm. not just from that audacious bit where they remake the first movie inside the first five minutes and then they did it again obviously for Army of Darkness but it, it's just a constant reinvention it is Ash on his own against the evil. Then it turns into you know I think they run out of road story wisely, <laughs> so they throw <laughs> they do throw some hapless victims into the into the uh, into the, the blender for a little bit, uh, and then it turns into just this insane kind of Mad Max, mm. Dirty Harry, you know action movie towards the end as well, uh, and uh, along with one of the greatest endings in, in movie history. And that constant reinvention is what keeps it fresh from scene to scene. So what is the road between this, to to borrow from you, Chris, kind of slightly amateurish um, friends project that is the Evil Dead, the first one? What is the road between that one to objectively the greatest movie of all time, The Evil it's Dead? It's a bit of a leap, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. it's a leap. How do you do that? How do you go from making... And Crime Wave, is it? have you guys seen Crime Wave? No. Okay. Anna's shaking her head and, and a nodding. A while in, in, back yeah, on in, my Raimi binge. Yeah, I, I came to Crime Wave very, very, very late in in my Raimi fandom, and because I'd heard that it was not great, and it's mm-hmm. got some again some incredible moments in it, uh, but it was not a happy experience for him or indeed anybody. Uh, he wanted Bruce Campbell to be the lead, and the studio said no, and they ended up with uh, with uh, Reed Burney, uh, things like that. But there's some wonderful bravura moments in it, but it's not a good film. Um, so he makes the Evil Dead, and the Evil Dead kind of very very quickly makes a bit of an impact a bit of an underground cult hit you know it, over here it got it got hit by the video nasty act along with obviously a lot of other movies you know the Texas Chainsaw uh, got hit by that as well um, which was a real shame but it was picked up by Palace Pictures so Stephen Woolley and Nick Powell's company um, and they really, really believed, and they really, really believed in this kind of Tyro filmmaker, uh, who was, you know, who, who, you know, who was very, very wet behind the years, but you could see the potential in it. Uh, Stephen King helped as well. Stephen King gave it a glowing endorsement, um, and you know, it's a film that you know they they weren't backwards and coming forwards, as we say in Northern Ireland. Uh, they were, you know, they were, <laughs> you know, they were very, they very much. It was the ultimate experience in grueling terror. I mean, that's a lot to live up to for your film, uh, but it got Raimi noticed, and it got the rest of the guys noticed to an extent. I still feel that Bruce Campbell's the great lost movie star of the of the 80s and 90s. But it got Raimi noticed. 
uh, it got him to make yeah, sorry I'll do it again it got Crime Wave on the go Crime Wave was a horrible experience as I've said so then after that he was looking around for something to do and then Dino De Laurentiis uh, basically was looking for a potential franchise he said Evil Dead 2 how about it and he made it and he was it's the it's pretty much I think as, as far as I can tell the only well Army Darkness had a, a bit of studio interference but as far as I can tell he was he was le- allowed to let his freak flag fly mm. but Evil not that Dead much too. though because didn't he essentially pitch a variation of Army of Darkness initially, initially and they were like yeah, yeah. no can we get something like the first one you yeah, did yeah you idiot <laughs> <laughs> we want, we want more Deadites yes we want more of that <laughs> it is and I think this is the, the same for the first one but even more so in the second the, there's something about Raimi's direction where everything in the film feels alive like everything and I'm talking literally as well as kind of metaphorically but everything is moving the sound design the constant wind howl your senses are being fed at all times in Evil Dead 2, right? The cabin itself is alive. Furniture moves, things talk, things that, like nothing is ever still. There's not a second, it feels like, of Evil Dead 2 that is wasted, right? Everything is moving and doing something weird and interesting and different, whether it's making you laugh or wince or jump. And I do think there are genuinely scary moments in Evil Dead 2 as well, as much as people talk about it as being the sort of comedy version of the first one. It's also really creepy and scary. And, and the way that it takes you from A to B to C to D throughout that movie with all of its weird moments and plot twists and tonal twists uh, I think it does everything so organically and interestingly right as well and I think again it's just Sam Raimi's direction and, and Bruce Campbell's performance and everything else just comes together so beautifully in Evil Dead 2 doesn't it? It's just the you know I keep going back to Campbell perhaps because he was my entryway into mm. these films anyway but re-watching it just the close-ups mm. the the way the, just the, the physical performance the way that he drags himself by the hand when the hand is possessed and that you can the hand is speaking there's mm. little mumblings coming out of the hand <laughs> so good it's so which good which biologically does not make sense oh no no how, how, yeah. how is it making noise through the nails we Anna, don't need to get into that anyway. it's, it's evil and it's dead <laughs> that's all you need to know I used to get freaked out by the cabinet laughing and the uh, and the, the, the animal head on the wall you know that moment when everything starts laughing it's like the nightmarish version of the beauty and the beast from (laughs) disney (laughs) where it's like oh it's these like wonderful dancing chandeliers and whatnot it's like no it's evil these things should not be inanimate objects should not be talking to you It's, that is the perfect example, I think, of how that film is both hilarious and deranged and frightening all mm-hmm. at the same time somehow. But it also elevates the gore, doesn't it? Yeah. We get so much more actual gruesomeness from Evil Dead 2. And especially kind of, you know, as much as Ash is, uh, you know, carrying the entire film, he also suffers quite a lot. Oh, yeah. Which, to be fair, we don't usually get to see. We don't usually get to see men suffer that much in horror films. We don't usually get to see our leading men who look and act like Bruce Campbell to be suffering so much (laughs) bodily harm in one movie. Yeah, the gore is unbelievable, isn't it? And I think, obviously, that is one of the key elements of all the Evil Dead movies, isn't it? That, that you know, if there's one thing that kind of connects them all, it is the level of gore in every single one of these films. And I think there's a really interesting mix in Evil Dead, particularly in the first two movies, of the over-the-top, splattery, uh, operatic levels of blood. You know, buckets of blood being chucked at Bruce Campbell. But then also those moments of, oh my God, I can barely look at how painful this is. You know, the pencil mm. jammed oh, into the, pencil, the ankle. Yeah. Oh, no. You know, those moments. So w- mixing kind of genuine body horror with that kind of almost, you know, Italian horror level of gore, right? That, um, again, particularly those first two movies kind of pull off really well, don't they, I think? Yeah, they really do. And the, the interesting thing about Evil Dead 2, oh God, he's talking about Evil Dead 2 again. <laughs> friends, <laughs> friends, fear he's talking about Evil Dead 2 again. The, the gore in Evil Dead 2 is really fascinating because uh, they yes there's loads and loads of gore and some people die in really really horrible ways but there's a awful lot of colourful blood as well the the sequence where Ash is pursuing his hand and he 
It's a strange sentence, but he is chased after his possessed hand and he fires into the wall and there's a trickle of blood which then becomes a torrent and the blood was different colours because they were worried. I think I, I can't remember if this was a diktat from the MPAA at the time. Basically, if this is red blood, if this is actual red blood, you are not going to get a certificate. Uh, so they decided to make it different colours blood and it's fun blood and it's basically like being guns. It's like Mr. Blobby the horror movie <laughs> yeah. at that point. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, like, it. it's like a live Looney Tunes cartoon, it is. isn't it? I think that's the thing. It's like watching Tom and Jerry. I, th- I feel like that with Army of Darkness actually even more so that it really does feel like you're watching a live action cartoon. But I love the levels of the volume of blood. I was watching it in my living room and I have one of those awesome TVs. It's my it's the thing I treasure the most in my the whole Ambulite house. The TV? Yeah, the Ambulite. Mike influenced me to get one as well. Yeah, you bought one as well, didn't you? But it's one of those TVs. <laughs> sponsored by Listing. <laughs> if I mention it, do I get one? Is yeah, that how it works? Exactly. Available now. Uh, it's one of those TVs that has one of those lights that glows and it, it lights up with whatever colour is showing on the TV. And so my whole living room was going from like red to purple <laughs> to green to yellow whilst watching The Evil Dead 2, you know? And again, you were having it's just... disco by dawn. You were yeah, like... it was like Joseph in his Technicolor dream coat, you know, in in my living room. It was awesome. Groovy. Yeah. But this is why I actually think that as a trilogy, the the shift in tones in it is Mm -hmm. perfect for an audience member. Okay. So I understand that kind of looking at it objectively might not really make sense and it might be like a um, slow descent into madness by the time we get to Army of Darkness. I'm not even sure it's so so slow to be honest, but (laughs) sure. But as a horror viewer, if you're watching them all at once in a big chunk, you start with the gnarly, gruesome, kind of grimy first proper horror film. Then you go to Evil Dead 2, which had these moments of just insanity while there is kind of an amped up amount of gore and it's you know it's kind of wicked but it's not proper scary it's Mm. leaning a little bit more into the funny then by the time you get into army of darkness and i'm imagining here that you're like i would ordinarily just sit there in the dark in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night and just watch them back to back with an increased amount of caffeine army (laughs) of darkness is what you want by the end of that experience you want this like ray harry harrison like random walking talking skeleton you want a weird dead-eyed with a crown smooching on Emmeth David, Davids and trying to turn her into a dead-eyed as well, but who still kind of looks hot as a dead-eyed. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, is the, so, yeah. that is the level of insanity that I would like by the third installment. And then we get into the, the violence again. Yeah. It's the perfect Midnight Marathon symphony. Yeah, you're right. I think because the second one works so well as a junction point between g- going from the Evil Dead, the original to Army of Darkness is a very, very weird thing, right? Like you said at the beginning, Chris, like if they would have known that that's what they would have ended up doing 10 years later or 12 years later. But yes, I suppose because tonally Evil Dead 2 is such an interesting balance between the two. It's such an interesting middle point, isn't it? I think that by the time you get to the wackiness and out-and-out comedy, uh, of of Army of Darkness, yeah, it kind of works, and I think you're right. You know, especially binge watching all three of them, it, it's a it's a really fun finale to that little journey that you go on, isn't it? I think you know, yeah. I've never done that in all my years of Evil Dead fandom. <gasps> I've never watched the 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 triple bill back to back. Mm. I'm going to do it right now. Stop recording. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's an element of classic cinema to it as well. I mean, you've mentioned like. Three Stooges and there's a bit of Buster Keaton obviously I feel like we'll talk about Bruce Campbell probably in a minute but I feel like he has a, a silent movie star energy to him in a way right and uh, and but also even in Army of Darkness there is this element of kind of old I don't know almost like old adventure movies or serials or something like that you know it's as well very broad in the best way yeah and, and the, the moment when he fights the little ash versions of himself there was something of that that reminded me of like I was watching it's Bride of Frankenstein or Gulliver's Travels yeah. exactly like you feel like you're watching kind of classic cinema. My lord, I believe he is the one written of in the Necronomicon. He who's prophesied to fall from the heavens and deliver us from the terrors of the deadites. What? That buffoon? Likely, he's one of Henry's men. Kneel, <laughs> I sing to the pit with him. Army of Darkness is such a weird perverse swing in so many ways. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, again, finally he gets to the point where he's just made Dark Man. 
Sam Raimi. And he, again, has just enough credit with studios to get this third Evil Dead movie off the ground. And this is what they made. (laughs) Which is just this glorious technicolor, weird, wild comedy, which is inspired by a Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court as much as it is by any of the horror films we've mentioned. Mm, mm -hmm. There's more of that in the DNA of Army of Darkness than there is... Uh, the Evil Dead or, or Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Last House on the Left or you know yeah. any of the Wes Craven stuff that, that, that Raimi loved and actually I wonder if that's partly why do you think this is why Sam Raimi as a director was able to kind of go on and do these other big blockbuster movies in the way that maybe some some of his contemporaries you know Toby Hooper John Carpenter Wes Craven they stayed as legends in the horror genre, but you couldn't have imagined any of them going on to direct a major Marvel franchise, for example, right? Whereas Sam Raimi successfully did. And in a way, that journey from Evil Dead 2 to Army of Darkness is kind of a kind of weird evolution into him being a sort of more mainstream director in a way, I think, isn't it? Well, I guess as a director, you also want to push yourself a little bit and try to do different things. And Army of Darkness, in a way you know, feels also like perhaps uh, a response to the sort of high fantasy, you know, big bodybuilder led um, adaptations <laughs> like Conan and Red Sonja and all this vibe. Yes. Like, it feels almost like a parody of that kind of movie as opposed to an evil dead movie. Because it's so much more centered on Ash and the Dead. It's a kind of an excuse. And it's also around the time when, you know, you kind of see this attempt to resurrect the adventure movie, which did not go very well for a lot of the films. You know, I'm thinking of Cutthroat Island, which came out around the same time. And this is a full decade after he made The Evil Dead. It's a different lang- landscape for Hollywood. It's a different landscape for Bruce Campbell as a, as a jobbing actor and also for um, horror film horror films in general having a slump but kind of being taken over by this much more fantastical um, you know action movies in a way I think Army of Darkness is the Evil Dead movie that is acceptable to watch if you're not in the, into Evil Dead if you're not into Evil or Dead yes <laughs> you know <laughs> then you can watch Army of Darkness and have a perfectly uh, fun time uh, it is it's one you don't need to see the other two and of course they they take care of that very, very nicely by having the, uh, the the recap at the beginning with with Bridget Fonda as Linda. My name is Ash, and I am a slave. Close as I can figure it, the year is 1300 AD, and I'm being dragged to my death. It wasn't always like this. I had a real life once. The, the evolution of Ash is, is wild. He goes from just inept, hapless coward in the first film to inept, hapless coward. And then there's an abrupt turn into Dirty Harry with a chainsaw <laughs> uh, towards the end of that film where he becomes this, this almost this parody of the, the square-jawed action hero of the 1980s. And then he goes back to being an idiot again for, for Army of Darkness. And it is such a broad performance. Uh, it, it tickled me immensely watching Army of Darkness again to think that this takes place the day after Evil Dead 2. So, <laughs> you know, or not even the day after, it takes place immediately after Evil Dead 2. So when he's planting a, a smacker on M. Beth Davis's character, Sheila, and he's demanding, give me some sugar, baby. It's like, you've just buried your girlfriend, mate. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? So it's interesting if you look at uh, Army of Darkness as the ultimate expiration of PTSD, I guess. I don't well, know. Yeah. Or Ash's fantasy of himself. Yes. Like, you yeah, could just I'll look at it that. as a fever dream that this, that this, like, cowardly loser has about himself. It's like, well, you know, in another time in the middle ages <laughs> I would be the one that everybody would want well, and I would be the king of the castle you've identified this is one of my pet theories right <laughs> my, one of my pet theories is that a lot of movies like this are the dying fever dreams of the hero as they bleed out and I think you might have hit the nail on the head Army of Darkness Ash dies in Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness is as he slowly slowly dies and he, he consciousness fades Army of Darkness is or, his dying wish. Or he doesn't even physically die. His soul dies as he continues to shelve and restock product in his oh, dead-end yes. job at S-Mart. Yeah, shop smart, shop S-Mart. Uh, by the way, the uh, the ending on Prime Video, which is uh, where uh, Army of Darkness lives at the moment, uh, is the 
London ending, the post-apocalyptic London ending. Yes. Which is not canonical these days. Is it not? Because that's, yeah, that's the version I'm the most familiar with. Really? Yeah, yeah. That is not the version that I ever saw. I saw the the theatrical, I think, version it was, where he goes back to S-Mart. Shop Smart, Shop S-Mart, yeah. I I think that was the first one I saw, because I saw Army of Darkness for the first time. I saw it in Canada in the summer of 1993, uh, when I was spending the the, the holidays there in the summer. And uh, we would just go, my friend and I would just go down to Blockbuster and just rent anything. And Army of Darkness came out in that time. And I was so excited about it because, you know, I was a huge Evil Dead 2 fan. I'd seen the Evil Dead by that point. I was like, this is it. This is Evil Dead 3. And then you pop it on and it, it took me a while to come to terms with, with Army of Darkness and mm. I'll be honest because mm-hmm. there is a reason why it is not called Evil Dead 3 mm-hmm. yeah and there's a reason why it's called Army of Darkness or technically Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness which gives you an, an indication of the goofiness that's in store and it took me a little time to come to terms with that because I can only still of... see the teenage Chris's rage in your uh, eyes furious <laughs> I threw I threw the TV out the window my aunt was furious she was like that was a month's salary what are you doing <laughs> Uh, no, I, it took me a little time because there's only a couple moments in, in Army of Darkness that feel like an Evil Dead movie and of course that is entirely by design yeah. which again speaks to the perversity of what they were doing Yeah, those very specific set pieces that are like, right, here comes the moment that where we're going to make it feel like an Evil Dead movie right, where he faces off against some dead eyes but yeah, you're right it's it sticks out so much even when you look at the Fede Alvarez 2013 or Evil Dead Rise Army of Darkness is such a strange anomaly in the middle of it all, isn't it? And you're right, maybe it's, it's the one that doesn't have Evil Dead even in its title I suppose as well but it did have Bruce Campbell in it it did have Bruce Campbell it feels like a good point to talk about the evolution of Ash or actually the evolution of Bruce yeah totally because of course you know as you've already mentioned Chris you know Bruce Campbell was just a best friend with Sam Raimi at the time when they were kids together making this film so he kind of became the lead character by default almost but he wasn't necessarily a great actor during that first film he wasn't a professional actor Um, and actually you wouldn't necessarily assume that he was going to emerge as the star of this franchise in the first film right he he starts off as this kind of quiet shy unassuming final boy i suppose this sole survivor of the first movie and it's only a few years later when we jump to evil dead 2 that bruce campbell is emerging as a as a real talented actor and the stuff that he gets to do in that second movie where he has that kind of scared victim final boy vibe to him again but this time he also gets to show off his physical skills and his comedy skills and he's got this incredible face as well he's so good at facial expressions almost and we've mentioned this already but almost like a silent movie actor like a Buster Keaton style actor right and then of course by Evil Dead 3 he has become this action star he is this wisecracking Mad Max type um, character and now he's he's legendary right he is a true horror icon he even has his own tv show ash versus evil dead which so many of the fans of this franchise love because it really goes back to that original tone of the sam raimi trilogy at least of the second and third movies and it and it gives us more brilliant bruce campbell and more wisecracking ash someone needs to wash your mouth out kid someone is me yeah we, we uh at empire a few years ago of a day job uh we we ran a, a stupidly ambitious feature that took us ages to do called the 666 greatest horror movie characters of all time and it was a, a, a reader poll and ash was runaway leader runaway winner. wow when you say reader do you dis- mean you uh, I voted four and a half thousand times. I had to go around different IP addresses. I bounced around the country. People were trying to shut me down. You know, he's in Chicago. Shut him down. Enhance. Uh, there was a lot of that going on. But, but yeah. I do wonder what it is. I mean, he was my entry point, and I remember remembering him as a, as a bit actor on a on a TV show he has this insane comedic charisma oh, where yeah. he he does have this kind of you know almost 1940s 1950s leading man looks but his whole vibe and his sense of humour is almost absurdist he's a goofball yeah, yeah mm. and it feels out of place in everything he does but 
so he sticks out and stands out but that's I think one of the things that makes him so memorable and the way that he approaches the the you know Ash is even in the gory or more like outright horror scenes is so goofy mm-hmm. you get you don't actually feel the violence you don't actually feel the gore I feel like his whole approach to the role kind of diffuses it and makes it a bit more palatable you're a dirty bat <laughs> I think you're right about what you said about he almost feels like he's he's out of place in time almost like Bruce Campbell himself feels like he yeah like we've said he he should be a film star from the 1930s or 40s or even earlier than that I think Um, but something about his performance perfectly fits the tone of Evil Dead right this kind of he he takes it seriously uh, and you know those moments of genuine horror and particularly in the first two movies have to land and they land partly because of his performance I think and because he is he's there is an earnestness about him as well as a goofiness I think and I think that is what works really well in this particular franchise that you really feel like Ash is suffering like really suffering and sometimes that's really funny and we can laugh at him but other times you you do genuinely fear for him or empathize with him as well and I think he has to pull off that balance of both and he does it perfectly in in the Evil Dead movies and it's it's a shame in a way that Bruce Campbell didn't become like a bigger movie star than he deserved to be that's right? a huge shame it's a huge shame and uh, you know it, it's interesting uh, what you're saying like, I think he and Raimi are just perfectly suited to each other. They they both get their their they both have the same sense of humor, the same dark sense of humor. They both enjoy playing off each other in that way. Sometimes we see Bruce in another movie, a straighter movie, like a Maniac Cop, which is a weird thing to say. Maniac Cop is a straighter movie, but it is a straighter horror movie than than Evil Dead Two, for example. He's talking about Evil Dead Two again, uh, <laughs> and he, he's fine in that, but he doesn't quite work he's not allowed to show that sort of the, the darker humor that he that he gravitates towards too naturally that doesn't shine through in a role like that but i said it earlier on i, I still think he's the great lost movie star of that era if uh, i want to if i ever had a time machine yes obviously baby hitler but <laughs> after that i'd go back to hollywood uh, towards the the tail end of the the 80s and the early 90s and i'd burst into casting director's offices and I'd hold up a, a I'd just give him a copy of Evil Dead 2 I'd go cast this man cast this man whatever <laughs> yes. you have cast him <laughs> you know so many great careers he could have been he could have been I, I, and there's no higher praise than this he could have been Ace Ventura before Jim Carrey I'm going to say it I'm going to say yeah, it yeah that's true he there's has no that higher praise <laughs> he has that quality about him I think for me that my favourite sort of section in the whole original trilogy is that section of Evil Dead 2 where it's Ash on his own oh, yes. right you know like it's Absolutely. just him in that cabin we have you know Sam Raimi going absolutely nuts with throwing everything imaginable at him but those moments when he's fighting his sometimes own, literally exactly well. literally sometimes, literally. sometimes literally. Raimi literally throwing things at his, <laughs> he, at his friend and, and hitting him with sticks yeah. and stuff poking well. him in the eye yeah. those amazing shots when he's being whooshed through the woods and, and trees are hitting him in the face that's, right that's and that was actually Sam Raimi hitting yeah. Bruce Campbell with branches tree branches yeah don't worry Bruce this definitely this this was in the script all along it's for sure so good but those moments when he's fighting his hand even it's fun hilarious as they are it's like wow this guy was unbelievable and he was so fit physically like yeah. there's a moment when he literally grabs himself and flips himself over he does like a flip in the air and everything he does there the hand then crawling around reacting to a meat cleaver across the room and then dragging his body across the room to get it and everything and like I don't know that's just that's just all Bruce Campbell doing that obviously yeah. by himself and I, yeah it is one of my favourite performances I've ever seen particularly in Evil Dead 2 it's so good it's so silly and simple but the fact that he just always wears the same outfit mm. he just has this uniform of ash <laughs> yeah. even at the end of Army of Darkness he has a variation on the ash outfit mm. like I always Mike is laughing because I always talk about costume design in, yeah. in TV and movies <laughs> but it's there is no need to reinvent this character he's and I think it also kind of makes sense he's just always going to be that slightly goofy loser mm-hmm. that happens to have um 
natural disposition to killing deadites. Uh, I would like very much to make a toast here for oh, okay. all this evening. Yeah. That sounds nice. Uh, as a Greek friend of mine once said, uh, he said, I... No, okay, okay, okay. Nis, nis. Tutarim. Which means? Party down! It is interesting about, you know, the movie kind of fakes you out. And it, in a way that the same thing happens in a way with Ripley in Alien. Where, you know, if you stopped at the tape at the, at the first 10 minutes, you went, who's going to make it to the end? Right. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't necessarily know it's going to be mm. Sigourney Weaver. It's the same thing with The Evil Dead. The only clue in the first, I'd say, 30 to 40 minutes that Ash is going to be significant is he's the only one who gets a close-up in the car at the beginning. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's accompanied by an arrow going, director's mate. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, don't worry, he's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. Everyone else, worm food, but, but not him. Yeah. Yeah, because it was such a trope. I mean, and, and really the, the idea of the Cabin in the Woods movie started here, right? I mean, this yeah. is where the Cabin in the Woods began. But if we're going by sort of teen horror movies at the time, this was quite unusual, right? Because usually we would be used to seeing a final girl, right, Anna, in one of these types of movies, as opposed to some a character like Ash or Ashley, as he's called in the first movie, <laughs> prevailing as the hero. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, like I sort of alluded to before, these teen horror movies that started around the 70s mm. and really exploded in the 80s. They have this griminess of the drive-in theatre where you just want to see beautiful teens, preferably with very few clothing items, um, get dismembered in creative ways. That's what you're looking for. It's just it. bodies mm-hmm. that are being torn apart. Mm-hmm. Young, beautiful bodies being torn apart. We get none of that here. Like These characters are tortured, but they're not really fitting into that teen horror subgenre um, as neatly as other things. Like, Friday the 13th. You mean nobody's seen this place yet? Oh, not yet. Well, it might not be that bad. No. Actually, it might be kind of nice. Yeah. It's probably a real pit. Yeah, I think this is where we get off. What's the continuity between Evil Dead 1 and 2? Like, because oh it's my. always like... <laughs> it, 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 oh, my. I, I, what I like to think in my head, Canon, right, is that Ash is living in some kind of perpetual loop or hell oh, we're in the cabin right? so actually yeah that it does continue on from the first one and the ash is sort of half forgetting but re- but but is but is reliving the same torment over and over again in the cabin or the evil in the woods is messing with him and continuing to torture him in bringing him back to his square one bringing him back to the cabin with a new girlfriend or a new version of the same girlfriend <laughs> well it's always and the same putting girlfriend. him through hell over and over again but her face changes Changes, which yes. makes it slightly more uncanny. Oh, yeah. I love this. Exactly. This is great. So Someone f- do that. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, this is what's really going on. It's not just a remake, not just a redo. Uh, it's all part of the same messed up universe that's not because evil... he didn't have the rights to the first movie but they, but they came to do no, the second no 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 that is not sexy enough Chris no, no. absolutely not no I love your theory that's great let's go with that <laughs> I mean do you think we should talk a little bit about whatever this evil is in the woods and these deadites themselves I mean like how much does that matter to you? you no, know, the mythology behind this story, I suppose, the Necronomicon, the all. Deadite, whatever this evil presence is in the woods, do we ever really see it? It's you capitalism. Know? It's, cap- it's capitalism all along. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it I, th- I think that that's one of my favorite things about the original trilogy is that it simply does not matter. Yeah. It does not spend too much time trying to explain or even make the mythology make sense. Mm. There's a spooky book. There's some undead creatures. They mm-hmm. want to kill you. That's all you need to know. Everything else is just the filmmaking, the the vibes of it, the humor, the mm-hmm. performance. But it does not. And I think this is one of the things I appreciate so much about it as a as a really uneven but really beloved franchise is that it does not try to tie itself in knots trying to over explain the mythology and the rules and they're like well no you should do this and you should do that and this is how you kill them like why is time travel involved I don't know I don't really care I appreciate it <laughs> yeah the, the the franchise reminds me of that, that great Garth Marenghi quote I know a lot of writers who use subtext and 
are all cowards. Yeah. And that's <laughs> that very much applies to to this to this trilogy. This is purely about a director and his chums having as much fun and pushing the envelope visually and uh, sonically and torturing Bruce Campbell. They're not necessarily trying to make a great big point about stuff. There's no message in the in the films, at least not as far as I can. It's probably be about Vietnam. <laughs> yeah, Watergate. <laughs> yeah, it's Watergate. Hey, do you think that's why it's a tape? Watergate. Watergate. Nixon. Yeah, it's all there. It's all adding up. There you go. You see. Yeah. Um, Henry- Woodshed and Bernstein. <laughs> Henrietta is actually Nixon. Um, but yeah. She does sound like Nixon, doesn't she? Someone's in my fridge cellar. Someone with a fresh soul. I really love the design of the Deadites, though, as well. And again, the balance of goofiness and genuine scariness. Because I do think one of the great horror moments in horror history is Cheryl being possessed. Oh, yes. Reading so the good. cards and then that reveal of her turning round, the pencil stab. Like, that whole yes. little sequence blew my mind when I first saw that movie, mm. you know? Four of hearts, eight of spades... Two spades, jack of diamonds, jack of clubs. It really works. And do you know what really works, though, for me is that they all, there's no continuity to them either. Like, they will all look different. Yes. Like, Ash as a dead-eyed looks completely different from every other dead-eyed. Some yeah. of them are just, like, oozing yeah. goo and blood and guts. But I but I do also love that all of the actors in this get the chance to have some fun. You know, they're not just picked off and then they're left for the rest of the movie. You know, um, Ellen Sandweiss as Cheryl, she's there throughout the... Ho- she's sort of the first victim, right? It gets turned into a dead-eyed, but she's there through the whole movie under the trapdoor in the cellar you know wearing probably these horrible glass contact oh, lenses I think in her good. eyes yeah. um, and all of that hideous makeup but she's brilliant in that as well well there's so you know. few of them as well yeah. you know that they actually get I mean characters and they get stuff to do and they mm. all get turned into either mush or dead eyed yeah. so like they all get to play around and be both the victim and the villains yeah. Remy, Remy pointed this out in the uh, interview I did with him last a shameless name drop um, but he said he for him he thinks the thing that sets the Evil Dead movies apart from all the other films of the of the early eighties and the, and the late seventies uh, was the sort of malign sense of humor that the Deadites have that that is there from from day one. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're taunting, they're mocking, they get to speak, which of course is unusual. Uh, they get to talk back to their victims. They get to you know basically say, "Dead by dawn, we're going to swallow your soul. You're not going to make it out. We're going to pick you off one by one, and there's going to be nothing you can do about it." Uh, you know, Mike said earlier on they're influenced by Pazuzu, but they're, they're like Pazuzu's warm up act. Yes. It's like you know, Pazuzu's warm up act is like someone who's got like a tight five, and they're <laughs> they're going on. They just got one liner after one liner after one liner, but not in the Freddy Krueger style. No. So it never becomes about that. It never becomes about the joke. And I think, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but I think that's one of the things that Evil Dead Rise gets absolutely perfectly. It just nails it. It's this kind of malevolent devilishness that they're really enjoying. They enjoy their jobs. Right. They they don't just want to kill you. They want you to suffer, right? Like, that's the point, is that we watched three-plus movies of, of Ash just being tortured and tormented and suffering because they, the Deadites, take absolute glee in tormenting their victims, not just killing them, right? But it's like a pixie, poltergeisty almost level of tormenting. Yeah. It's not, you know, uh, a demonic, I'm going to possess you and proper, seriously torture you. It's almost playful. Yeah. Shut up! But this goes back to what we were saying about the mythology of of the trilogy and how it doesn't really make any sense. And that's fine. That it doesn't make any sense, you know, because these are these are creatures that quite often the evil is there before the film even begins. That's, that's certainly what happens in in the Evil Dead when they get there. The tape has already been played. Same thing in Evil Dead Two. Two more mentions. Uh, <laughs> same thing. Same thing with that. You know that you know Henrietta is already in the in the earthen floor of the fruit cellar. She's already there. No Professor Nobi's already been taken. All that stuff. So there's already evil knocking around the place. But you don't get the sense that they're interested in world domination necessarily. They're just interested in territorial dominance. This is my little 
area of the woods, quite enjoying hanging out here, gliding ethereally through the woods. And if someone comes into my 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 orbit, I'm gonna mess them up. But otherwise, I'm I'm okay. To be fair, in this case, the evil is actually right because these these people are just messing around with their territory. They are. They're coming onto their property. Yeah. Fucking shit up. This is it. This is exactly yeah. It's like it's like killing killing the shark in Jaws. Why? It's yeah. just a creature going about his business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, but Leatherface Furious was now. just uh, enjoying his day when a bunch of kids walked into his house. Leatherface was defending his house, <laughs> and he was being very overwhelmed by these rowdy teenagers that had no respect for private property. I'm glad we're all in agreement on that. Okay, Texas, Texas. goddammit. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Get off my lawn, you kids. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what do you think? What do you think? So the, the POV shot, Evil Dead starts with a with a POV shot of the evil gliding through the woods, uh, and there's like various POV shots all the way through the first three films in particular, um, in, including as you talked about Anna, the amazing sequence in one more mention, Evil Dead Two, where Ash uh, slowly realizes that he's trying to get out the bridges up, and then you know, the evil starts coming after him, and it's an extended sequence where he's driving through the woods and then running through the woods, and then it ends in that incredible. POV shot where he's dancing through the cabin uh, those shots are incredible what do you think he and the other characters are seeing at that point I know that's what I always wonder in my head I I picture something truly demonic and animalistic like running on all fours like some sort of hell beast or something I don't know why that's what I always picture but because it's kind of low to the ground right a lot of the time and yeah that's sort of what I am at almost a bit like the thing in Ghostbusters the hell dogs in Ghostbusters I don't right, know why okay. that's sort of what I picture in my head but gnarlier and more gruesome than that I almost picture like a, an unseen force you know when sometimes when the air is really thick with something be that yeah. kind of gas or you know if you're around a campfire or something you can almost see stuff in the air and there's an unsettling vibe to it because you're not supposed to see what's around you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I almost imagine sort of a, a face chasing them but it's made out of just not necessarily vapour but just solid enough that you can distinguish it and be threatened by it but not solid enough that you can touch it or hit it with something. Yeah. You just have to run away. You just know that that's not good news for you exactly it's like the giant sand face in the mummy you know it's like that's (laughs) not what sand is supposed to do and it's too big to actually do anything about it and if you hit it you're just going to hit sand so Uh there's no way to protect yourself against it I like it. And what does this face look like for you, Anna? Is this face in the room right now? Can you can you can you can you see it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go one layer deeper. What if it's the face of whoever is being chased? So Bruce Campbell Whoa. just sees himself. Oh, and there's like a lot that. of that in these movies. There is a, a lot, lot of that. that. Ash yeah. versus Ash. Mm-hmm. There is a lot of Ash versus Ash. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it looks like Mr. Blobby. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's... Okay, that's the scariest of the lot. That's the scariest of the lot. <laughs> no, gotta run away, gotta run away. I've always thought it was like some sort of smoke. I've always, you know, which is really first base. But I've always thought it was something like that. Mm. But again, your answer is much, much better than mine. But it's also a company business by that kind of... You know, which so if you if you heard that you would go okay, best not stick around for this. I'm going to get into one last thing. I think we should talk about with these movies, which is the endings, because I think mm. all three have world class all timer endings. And the great thing about Army of Darkness, it has two. <laughs> <laughs> It's a choose-your-own-adventure. Uh, but yeah, I love the ending of the, the first Evil Dead. Like, I'm not usually a fan, I'll be honest, of a really bleak ending to a horror film. I'd like there to be some hope at the end. Uh, but the end of the Evil Dead, where the evil goes through the cabin and whirls around and Ash screams when we cut to black. And then it's got that jaunty little kind of 1920s <laughs> yeah. song going on there. Uh, that is really impish. And I, and I love that. And I love that... Oh, I can't mention Evil Dead 2 now, can I? No, I have to, I have to. Contractually bound. Uh, I've said this is the last the last mention, and gosh darn it, I'm going to do it. Uh, and Evil Dead 2, of course, continues that in that really, really beautiful extended passage where he gets propelled through the forest and spins around and lands in a puddle and becomes Evil Ash for, for a bit. Um, but the end of Evil Dead 2, where he winds up in, well, frankly California but but <laughs> Arthurian England yes uh, blows the head off a winged deadite 
and then gets tormented by the knowledge that he's going to be stuck in the past forever is a great ending. Um, Raimi, of course, is a guy who shouts, hell, he who comes from the sky to deliver us from the terror of the Deadites. Oh, so so there you go. go. Uh, but there's also the bit, and uh, then Army of Darkness, with it's either the post-apocalyptic London one or Shop Smart, Shop Smart. All great endings. What's what's your favourite? Pick a fave. It's got to be the end of Evil Dead 2, I think, doesn't it? I think it has to be, but I think you're right. These endings are all brilliant because they are all sort of open-ended. They all leave you wanting more, but they're also these brilliant little sting-in-the-tail, nasty endings in keeping with the nastiness of the evil in the woods, right, as well. like It's it's like a, it's like a dark punchline with each one of those three films in the way they end that both could end the mythology right there but also could happily continue and give you more at the same time and you're right they are sort of perfect endings all three of them yeah and they're also um continuously torturing ash yes yes which just like even even if he wins mm-hmm. there is just no escaping there's you're- no escaping the evil I mean, the only one that he doesn't really get tortured in is the shop smart, shop s smart. But well, even then, he has killed a deadite on his own. I think work. our definitions of torture are slightly different because <laughs> I think that is the bleakest one. Oh, really? Because <laughs> he's just he's in retail for the rest can of his you, life. Can you imagine going from defeating uh, unseen forces of evil, <laughs> um, killing your girlfriend and your friends, right? Okay, yeah, and then traveling back in time, so you know time travel is real, and becoming this like prophesized hero that falls from the sky, yep. in Arthurian England or Arthurian California, yeah, and then having to go back to doing a menial job in retail for the rest of your life. That's, that sounds... That is the bleakest I think he's still stuck in that hellish time loop. That's what's really going yeah. on. <laughs> sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby. So there you go. That's it for the first episode of Dead by Dawn, an Evil Dead podcast. Next time, we'll be back diving into the reimaginings of the story. We'll be talking about 2013's Evil Dead and, of course, the upcoming Evil Dead Rise. Mom? Mommy's with the maggots now. So we'll be back later this week. But in the meantime, Chris, where can people find more of your work out there online? Uh, you can find me. Uh, I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. You can find me on the Empire podcast pretty much every week. And we have spoiler special podcasts that you can subscribe to, including Evil Dead Rise with Lee Cronin uh, talking about that movie. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Go to empire.supportingcast.fm to sign up for that. Amazing. And Anna? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Anna Be Demented. Uh, and you can subscribe to my horror podcast, The Final Girls. I promise we do not open the Necronomicon <laughs> for now. That's exclusively for the Patreon subscribers. And you can pre-order my book, Unlikable Female Characters, anywhere where you order books. I love it and you can find me on twitter at the movie mike and you can find my podcast for more horror podcast discussions such as these at the evolution of horror and you can find that wherever you get your podcasts dead by dawn an evil dead podcast is produced by mike munzer and anna bogatskaya for studio canal the show is hosted by chris hewitt anna bogatskaya and mike munzer and is edited by mike munzer Groovy.